past few weeks, our lectionary readings have been taking us slowly through the second chapter of Acts. And we haven't quite finished in a sense that we're going to go back to the start in a few weeks' time when we come to the readings for Pentecost. But at this stage, we've been focusing on largely Peter's sermon, where Peter has been explaining what has been happening in their midst. Often the hardest bit of history to process, to name, is what is happening right at the present time. It's hard to put it into a context. We've lived through the last few years of a what we know is not normal in terms of the history of the world and the, the impact of COVID, but it's hard for us to, to see what, what does that mean? How, has, how are things changed? Peter was explaining to them the change that was occurring in their midst. And as he did so, he pointed to where Jesus sat within the whole mission and purposes of God. Jesus, who came into the world as the one long promised, the anointed one, and who had been rejected and treated shamefully and was executed as part of a uh, corruption and injustice and vested interest and threats and disloyalty and all those awful events. And Peter said, but despite all that, God's purposes actually required Jesus to be in that space if he is to achieve the long-promised salvation. Then last week we saw the invitation from that, the promise that uh, God offers of uh, forgiveness, of salvation to all who gather in Jerusalem. And hundreds and thousands were now beginning to gather to, to hear this message of Peter. And the invitation is extended to those who gather and to their children and to all who are far off. Peter now steps back, and as he does a number of times in the, in the narrative, sorry, Luke steps back, as uh, he does a number of times in the narrative in the book of Acts, he gives a little cameo picture. You know sometimes you have a little epilogue at the end of a, a movie or something where you see what's, what's the result, what's happened next? And... Uh, Luke provides us a little cameo picture of what happened next as people were hearing the message and receiving it. And it tells us some significant truths about God's intention for the church. A few weeks back I described the building of a house behind us at our home in Clayton Bay, how in one week they went from excavations to some foundations to the framework for the floor, the floor was put in, the walls were put, the framework for the walls were put in place and last week the roofing is on. And as often happens with building projects, then nothing happens. <laughs> as it often is the case with the various build, uh, contractors. But I said that that is... Uh, an image for the foundations of our Christian belief, the foundations of what we believe, why we believe, where God is at work and continues to do so have been laid for us in Peter's sermon. And now in this cameo picture, the foundations of what it means to gather together as a community of people who have all responded to that invitation, the foundations of what it means to be church are laid. I'm going to start with a quote. And the full quote, actually, for some reason I left the word out. Imagine 
that church is not the point of church. It's a fairly provocative statement. It's the first uh, paragraph in this book, Imagining Mission, with John V. Taylor, written by uh, Johnny Baker and Kathy Ross. And uh, John V. Taylor is a missionary bishop who returned to the UK to be the head of the church, um, the church missionary society in the 1960s. And if uh, Bishop John V. Taylor looks vaguely familiar to some of you, he happens to be the granddad of Ben Wood. Um, and once you see that, you can actually see something of Ben's features in that particular pose. Um, he wrote journals as he was a speaker at many different conferences and his uh, journals were discovered by his daughter, Ben's mother, and they, uh, she passed them on to Kathy Ross who said these are absolute gems of reflection. So the book is, is uh, reading those journal and reflections about mission. But I just want to focus on this particular quote and... Um, Across the diocese as a whole, the Archbishop, by the way, is very keen on this book. Um, and this quote I'm giving you is a quote that he's now using in many different directions. So, Stephen, you can expect to hear it at a clergy conference, just, just saying. So, what is the quote? Imagine that church is not the point of church. Rather, church exists to participate in the healing of all things, the world, its peoples, the planet itself. That is the point. Church is God's people participating in that liberation, a communion in mission. Church is Christ's body prolonging the logic of the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ in the world. If you had a blank sheet of paper and you could design a church with that purpose in mind, that we are to be instruments of God's mission in the world, and anything is possible, what would you come up with? They conclude this opening paragraph. Fresh imagination is required because we seem, as the Western church, we seem to have got stuck. You might also agree that we need to leap over walls that we have created in order to be in the world. If our calling is to be the people of God in mission in the wider world, the reality is that we have created a number of not just physical walls but more social and cultural walls that make us hard to access. If we are hoping that the revival will come by more and more people finding their way to the front door of our church, the sad reality is that fewer and fewer people are likely to do so. So many people walk past, drive past, and it would never occur to them to come into our church. We need to get a lot better at going out those doors and being where people are. This passage gives us four foundations to nourish us as a church. These are the essential elements to enable us to be the people we're called to be. First of all, we notice that the church 
not just in the first century, but for the first two or three centuries, was not a building. That was a much later uh, innovation to have a dedicated church building. For the period of its greatest growth, the church was meeting in homes and in halls and where people were. So this would be a large church meeting in a home. A church of 20 or 30 was a large church. Yet God took those churches of 20 or 30 and made an impact, an impression that continues to the present day. You can see in that picture that they are all focusing on hearing something spoken. The phrase is used twice in this passage. They devoted themselves. Not they managed to find a bit of extra time, not when they had a bit of extra free moment, but they devoted themselves to this gathering that God was calling them to. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, Luke was describing a stage when the New Testament had yet to be written. It began to develop over decades of letters and uh, various collections of works and oral tradition before anything resembling what we call the New Testament was available. So they were pretty keen to hear more about this person of Jesus. Those who had heard about the name and the promise were keen to know. So what was Jesus about? What did he do? What was he teaching? How can we respond to that? And that came through those that Jesus had set aside to be the witnesses, to pass on those gospel traditions. Initially, they were passed on by word of mouth before they began to collect some of the sayings and some of the traditions began to form. So even before that stage, they were desperate, they were keen to hear what are these truths that have now been revealed, these mysteries that are now to be proclaimed. They devoted themselves So learning more and more about the apostles' teachings, about why Jesus is so important. Secondly, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now for those of you who know me from my previous incarnation at St Matthew's will know that I'm rather keen on this word koinonia. We used to have a koinonia Sunday when we would focus that the word koinonia conveys what it means for us to be church. It isn't just stewardship, though it certainly involves that. This word koinonia is another of those baskets that has a a number of different dimensions that no single word in English does justice to. But it means notions of community, notions of association, of partnership, of participating in something together, of sharing things together. It's describing what it means to be church. They devoted themselves to this fellowship that is our church community. It was precious and it is key to God's purposes. It is to partner in mission. One of the best definitions that I've heard about what the future church might look like, our relearning 
what it means to be church. It's the phrase that to be church truly is to be an extended family on mission. We are an extended family and we're tasked with a mission and we do it together. The third element that they devoted themselves to was the breaking of the bread. At this point, most likely talking about the Lord's Supper. Jesus had left them that meal and said, in the breaking of the bread and in the drinking of the cup, there is a remembering, there is a participating. Actually, the word koinonia is used of that. Sharing together in the, the full benefits of the work of Jesus upon the cross, his death and his resurrection. That became a precious occasion to remind themselves that we are gathered at the Lord's table. We are gathered at the table of the kingdom. Those promises are still requiring our response of reaching out for a yes. And finally, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. It is the breath that we take. Without prayer, we're left in without. If we don't ask, we will not receive. Things do not happen if we are apathetic about prayer. Coming before prayer, before God in prayer, and that zeal, that anticipation, that sense of God is urging us to engage, to communicate, whether it's formal prayers or informal prayers, whether it's in song, whether it's in thoughts, whatever the form it takes, coming together in prayer is vital to our life as a church. So with those four elements that are vital to nourish us with the growth that we seek as the people of God, what does that begin to look like? So Luke tells us, a picture of what the early church looked like, gathering in homes across the ages, people of different cultures, male and female, young and old, slave and free, are all gathered together in that household of faith. It's actually quite a radical, countercultural picture as they gathered in each other's homes. But notice the features of what makes it a unique event not just a club, not just an association, not just those who have a shared hobby or particular interest. First of all, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. The wonders and signs that were a feature of Jesus' ministry continued in and through the apostles. At that stage, it was reinforcing that they indeed did have the legitimacy of the name of Jesus was demonstrated by the wonders and signs. But the wonders and signs are also a sign of the kingdom of God, a foretaste, and they continue into the present day. But in particular, God is present. Now the word awe, or even worse, awesome, has been somewhat undervalued these days. Anything and everything is described as awesome. This is truly awesome. When God is at work in and through the body of his people, it is awesome. And regaining that sense of 
when we gather together as God's people, we all become ministers, we all become means of grace. God uses every one of us to, to encourage and to, to sometimes to rebuke, sometimes to bring a word in season, sometimes just to be present. Where God is at work, then we discover this is the point of church. We come now to the challenging one. Now all the believers were together. And that itself is a significant thing. The followers of Christ, despite their differences and their different cultures, were together. And they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, certainly that was the way in which it was expressed in the first century and it wasn't unknown. Other faith communities like the Qumran community would require, you want to join our community, you, you bring all your possessions and it now becomes the possessions of our community. There are still some religious orders that do just that. When you take a vow to join a, a particular order, you bring what you have and it becomes the common wealth of that community. The principle still stands. Once we recognise that everything we have has actually been given to us by God and given for us to use as God expects us to do. We are stewards of everything. And once we recognise that all we have, we are tasked with using as God wants us to do so, including what we do collectively as a community, then the notion of having all things in common becomes less around what's mine and what is yours and more around it's all God's. How do I believe God wants us to use that? And that's why koinonia, that notion of sharing together things in common, isn't about the church, it's about the mission of the church. And I believe the way in which that spirit of, of uh, willingness to offer and to contribute that we can see the fruits of around us, that God is giving us a new season to rediscover what it means for us to, to be devoted to supporting and to be sharing and contributing. Every day, this word devoted again, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Now, actually, that's rather curious because the temple wasn't designed as a gathering place. The temple was designed to hold people at a distance. If you were a Gentile, you only got as far as the outer courtyard. If you were a Jewish woman, you can go into the next courtyard, but no further. If you were a Jewish male, you could go into a next courtyard, but then you would meet one of the... The, uh, the, the Levites, one of the assistants in the temple. So where did they meet in the temple? It was actually meeting in the forecourts. Around the outer part of the temple was the life of the community in Jerusalem. They met in the marketplace, in that public space, outside the temple itself, because that's where people were. And that's where conversations would take place and where people would meet up and interact they were where people were. And that has been one of the biggest 
challenges for us and the rediscoveries that to be church calls us to be where people are. They met in the temple, in the forecourts where people were, and they met publicly. They met as followers of Jesus. That was known. And they broke bread. Here the phrase probably means they had meals together. They shared hospitality with one another. I don't know, they might even have a roster within weeks of saying, okay, you've got Tuesday, you've got Wednesday, Thursday, meals at... uh, They met in each other's homes. They shared meals together. Their lives were now entwined, integrated into thinking as a community, a living community. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. There's a few things to take away from this. First of all, eating food together is a ministry of the church. We can enjoy eating together. But to do so with just joyful and sincere hearts That is making a statement in a world that is characterised by cynicism and apathy and of a sense of whatever. To be countercultural is to be joyful, to be sincere, to set aside those attitudes and rejoice. Enjoy people's company. Enjoy what God is doing in and through our lives, through the realities, all the mix that comes with those, those experiences. Praising God, recognising and giving thanks for God, the way in which God is at work in and through us. And doing so, enjoying the favour of all the people. This is public. This is not behind closed doors. This is not tucked away in an enclave somewhere. This is visible in neighbourhoods. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. We can do church. We can do the events. We can do the various things that we're tasked with doing. But unless God is at work in and through us, then that is a vain hope for our growth. The Lord added to their number because they were devoted to the mission that they were tasked with. As I've been reflecting on this in the past week, that phrase has come back to me. They devoted themselves. Now, we can't go back to the first century and really we don't want to. It wasn't a particularly pleasant place. But we can learn these characteristics of what it means to be gathered as God's people. We are living in a day and age, I believe, and many others, that we are rediscovering what it means to be church. Having had centuries of church as as an event with a time and a place that you were to attend, then you depart from. We're now rediscovering and enjoying the sense of church's community. You know, it really gives me an absolute buzz that our morning teas take more time after church than church itself. Those who complain that church is too long and I'm sitting there at 12.30 thinking, 
I just walk out, it's okay. Because we are enjoying that company and inviting others to come and share it is no less part of our being church. And when we meet in small groups and homes and other areas, when we meet in the the community shed or when we go for picnics or when we do the various events, this is being church. That's intentionally why we have these various things that we are uh, adding into our mix. Not programs as such, but places to meet others, to build friendships and relationships, to enter into each other's lives and to know how we can meaningfully pray for one another through the various challenges that we may face or the joys that we might uh, experience. It's not hard to look at that picture and saying, yes. And I believe that we are experiencing something of that. But the challenge is, are we devoted to it? I wonder whether the biggest drawback, the biggest obstacle to our really engaging in that space of being an extended family on mission is our willingness to be devoted to this as something important, something precious, something that is of God. That's what I've taken away from this. My prayer as we go into a significant month in May and celebrate our 175th, and even more so as we have a sense of anticipation of the, the season that lies ahead of us, God can and will do awesome things in our midst. But we need to be devoted. We need to be committed. We need to have a sense of prayer and anticipation and trust and take those steps wherever God takes us.